Good morning, my friends. I, uh, I'm thankful that we're warm today. Hopefully you're warm where you're watching online. Uh, it's Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day. Some of you are like, it's not Valentine's Day, it's Singles Awareness Day. Um, and that's okay too. And uh, it's okay to be single. It's actually really valuable to be single. Uh, but it's a good day. You know, it's interesting. I was thinking about this in the context of Valentine's Day. Um, ladies, you have this unique ability to force men, without you even knowing it, to do some really ridiculous things. Uh, when I was in college, I had noticed this female friend of mine named Brandy. And uh, man, I, I, was, I was immediately... Upon meeting her for the very first time, I was immediately attracted to her. There was something about her that I thought was special and unique. And honestly, within just a few days, I remember even telling my mom, I said, I really think this might be the one. And uh, for several months, though, she wasn't. Uh, she decided that she wasn't. She made it very clear that she wasn't. Um, but I was uh, relentless. And in the summer of 2004, I was at Lake Bryan with a bunch of friends of mine, and um, this girl named Brandy showed up. And what we were doing out at the lake is our, my friends had built an eight-foot quarter pipe. And if you don't know what that is, it's, like a, it's something you would see on ESPN X Games. Uh, people will ride bicycles, they'll ride skateboards, and do all these crazy flips and tricks. And, um, but it was an eight-foot quarter pipe, so a quarter circle, and they set it right on the edge of the water at the boat ramp on Lake Bryan. And so as they're um, getting it all set up, they decided they were going to start riding bicycles down the hill, down the boat ramp to the ramp, and then do flips and tricks and all these cool things off into the water. And it was really um, quite fascinating to watch. And so I went out and started watching my friends and was kind of intrigued by what was going on. But in my head, I thought, there's no way I would try that. And then Brandy showed up. There's boats out on the water. Literally, boats are showing up to watch us. They might have been showing up because they needed to load their boat and we were blocking the boat ramp, but I'm gonna assume they were there to watch us uh, do all the ridiculous things we're doing. So I finally decided, you know what, it's my turn. Brandy is here. This is my moment. I've been working so hard to try to earn her favor and her love. So I get on the bike. I go to the top of the hill. And I remember getting to the top of the hill and I had in my mind what it was gonna look like, what I needed to do, and I asked a friend of mine, right as I'm about to take off, I said, hey man, any last words of advice? And he goes, pedal fast, don't stop, and do the best you can do. So I took off and I pedaled and I pedaled and I pedaled and as I got to the ramp, I continued to pedal, failing to realize that at some point you actually need to stop pedaling because I am standing up on those pedals, just cranking the pedals as fast as I can. And as I do, the bicycle comes up like this, but since I'm standing on the pedals and not sitting on the seat, as the bicycle goes like this, my body stays like this instead of going like this. You following me? So the handlebars made uh, quite the impact to my face. My feet slipped off the pedals. I cut both shins open. I have a scar on my left leg to prove this. And as I go into the air, I look like a cat being thrown into the Gulf of Mexico. It was ridiculous. It was terrible. And as, as I'm in the air, I'm thinking to myself, wow, that really hurt. And I, had, I probably should just stay underwater after I make contact with it. I was so embarrassed. There was so much pain. I was so frustrated. I thought that I had ruined my only opportunity. And so as I got back to the shore, everybody's kind of laughing, they're checking on me, and I thought to myself, man, there is no way. I sealed the deal forever with this girl named Brandy. You know, the miracle of the story 
is that Brandy did finally follow God's will in her life to choose to fall in love with me. Um, We did end up getting married. That was my wife, um, still is my wife today. But the reason I tell you that story is because that's my bike ramp story. And it was a story of a lot of pain and a lot of embarrassment, a lot of frustration. But you know, people walked up to me after I did that and they said, hey, you wanna go again? And I said, absolutely not. I will never do that again. Never, ever in my entire life will I ever do that again. And even years later, I think back to that and I think to myself, what in the world was I thinking? And I think it's a picture of marriage and the culture that we live in today. You know, because you can go look at statistics and there's a lot of cynicism about marriage, about the idea of marriage, about the expectations of marriage. I was reading this week through a lot of different research uh, and Pew Research specifically uh, said that in 1967, nine out of 10 people who got married were married in their 20s. Today, that number is two out of 10. And so it shows us this trend that people have moved further and further away from this idea of being married. For some reason, this is happening. And I think it forces us to ask the question, why? Why is that happening? Listen, if you're in the room today and you are single, I've kind of mentioned that a couple times. Listen, um, this is so valuable for all of us to know, specifically in the marriage context, but even just in life and in relationships. So don't tune out today. I think there's something to this. You know, I think about the expectations that we have. What shapes our expectations of marriage? I mean, because we had all these great plans and all these great ideas. Maybe you're single today and you've got all these expectations of one day being married. Maybe you're married and you've got expectations of what you still hope it's going to become. You haven't given up hope yet. Maybe you're married and you've gotten to that place where those expectations haven't been met and you have lost hope and you're frustrated. You feel stuck. There's some pain, there's some regrets, and you've gotten to a place where you're even hopeless. There's no way this is what it was supposed to be. And maybe you've even found yourself in a place where you're single again, maybe for the first time, the second time. You're like, man, marriage, when it comes to marriage, Wes, on this Valentine's Day, like, I'm out. So what I want us to do, I want us just to spend a little bit of time together today talking about hope for your marriage whether you're single, whether you're married, whether you're happily married, unhappily married, whether you're married again or again or divorced, wherever you're at, I want us to think about this idea of hope for marriage. Because marriage, as God intended it, as God designed it, is good. It's very good. But we would all agree that it's difficult. And so what I want us to do is I want us to unpack a passage today in Ephesians chapter five, starting in verse 21 and try to understand some of our roles in marriage, our specific roles as men, as women. And then I wanna give you a really tangible, practical step that you can put into practice today, hopefully every day this week, because I think you're gonna have a little bit extra time on your hands anyways. So what I want us to do is I want us to jump into Ephesians chapter five. And in this passage, Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus. He's writing to a bunch of people who have just begun to follow Jesus. They've begun to trust Jesus as the boss, as the Lord of their life. They're beginning to learn what it looks like to live a life fully devoted to Jesus. And so Paul spends the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians talking about everything that God did, everything that God is, and what he did to rescue you and me. And then he begins to prescribe for us practical steps 
that we can take to live out this faith in Jesus in all the different areas of our lives. And so we come to this passage where he begins to talk about the relationship dynamics in a marriage. And it starts off in verse 21. He says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. You notice this is the end of a sentence. He's, he's been talking about being filled with the Holy Spirit. Laura talked about this last week. If you missed that, go back and, and watch that message. But notice it says submitting to one another. That's to all of us. He's saying submitting to one another. Now, before we jump to this next verse, I just got to say, I was kind of hopeful that the ice storm would just totally take us out today because I didn't want to jump into this next verse because it's got a word in this verse that's kind of a unpopular word. It's not a word that we enjoy. Sometimes I think we begin to think that it's old school, that it's old fashioned, that that doesn't work in our society anymore. It's almost like I'm about to take a grenade and throw it into the middle of the room and be like, all right, let's watch what happens here. This is gonna be fun. It honestly would be easier just to kind of avoid this, but I want us to jump into this. And before uh, you check out or before you write this off, because maybe you've heard this before and you've got some different interpretation or context for what we're about to read, just hang on because I think God wants to show us something really powerful as we jump into this. So let's check out verse 22. It says this, wives. Here, here, let's say it together, okay? It'll make us all feel better about this. Okay, wives, one, two, three, submit to your, okay, that was was okay, Um, but it's cold outside. Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is, him, is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now I think we can all collectively take a deep breath because we got through it. But let's unpack this a little bit. Let's begin to understand what in the world is this talking about because the unfortunate part of this passage is that there's been times in our history where this has been taken out of context and it's been used for power and dominion of men, for the subjugation of women and children, and that's not at all what this verse is talking about. When we begin to take this verse out of the context it finds itself in, we lead ourselves to a really dangerous place. And so we've gotta be careful here and understand what Paul is trying to say. What he's saying is he's saying, wives, submit, but don't forget, He just said for all of us to submit to one another. What we see here is a very specific application to a command that is given to every single one of us, male and female, in this place and watching online today. So think about it this way. First, I wanna wanna make two quick observations. Number one, who is this written to? Wives. So fellas, husbands, this isn't written to you. And this is not your verse to memorize so that you can throw out in the battles that come up in your home. This is not the verse where you're like, hey, she's not really treating me the way that I want to be treated. So I'm going to open up my Bible to Ephesians 5, 22. I'm going to set it on her nightstand and hope that she sees it. This is not written to us. This is written to wives. It is addressed to wives. And so listen, this is not your verse, fellas. So stay out of her verse. You don't like it when people mess with your stuff. So stay out of her stuff, okay? He's saying wives. But don't forget, he also just told us to submit as well. I want to give us a a really clear understanding of what this word means so that we can kind of continue to launch from here today. Submit in this context ultimately means this, an inclination to affirm and receive a husband's leadership. 
That's what this verse is talking about. I heard Ben Stewart say this in a, in a sermon a couple of years ago, talking about marriage, and he used this definition. And I love this definition because he uses the word inclination. Another word for that could be posture, a choice. It's taking on this mindset, choosing in the covenant of marriage with the one that you have chosen to be your husband. You are choosing this posture of submission, recognizing, affirming, receiving his leadership in your life, to treat him a certain way. It's not so that you will understand that your role is to be his maid, to be his cook, to be second place, to be pushed down, to be pushed out, to be neglected. That's not what this is talking about. This has nothing to do with rank. It has everything to do with a specific role that we've been charged with in the context of marriage. And think about this, it's natural. Let's just say you're married today. Tonight you go to bed and right after you doze off, there's a loud crash in the house. I don't know if your house is like my house, but when that happens every single time, my wife jumps up and begins to shake me and say, someone's in the house. You know what I don't do? I don't in that moment say, well, go check it out. Because she expects me, because God has provided us with strength and power to protect. And so in that moment, I jump out of bed. It's a natural response to what's going on in my life and the relationship with me and my wife. And I run to check out whatever it is. And usually it's nothing. But if it was, I would never send my wife to go look. You see, there's something natural in this. And ladies, listen, I, I believe that you deeply desire this. It's a natural desire that you have in your life to be led well, to be cared for well. Let's think about it this way. Let's say, ladies, that um, you're going back before the days of being married, and it's the first date with this guy who has shown some interest in you, and he says, hey, I'd love to take you out to dinner. And he shows up to pick you up, and you get in the car, and I wanna, I wanna give you two different options here, okay? So, so option A, the guy shows up, he picks you up, you get in the car, and he says, hey, how are you doing? You look good. Um, so what do you wanna do? That's option A. Option B shows up. He says, hey, you look nice tonight. Um, you know, I, I did some digging, I did some research, and I was looking around, and uh, I found a couple of options. You know, there's this really nice seafood place downtown. It's, it's right on the water. There's big glass windows. The food is fantastic. Uh, but listen, if you're not down for seafood, well, there's this other Mexican food place. The food is great. The environment's a little bit quieter, and there's a bonus. There's a really nice dessert place right next door. I'm not sure what you're feeling tonight. I'm not sure which one you're most interested in, but I wanted to give you options. Uh, so, so which one would you prefer? Now, ladies, let me ask you something. Do you prefer option A or option B? She just said it for all of you. Option B, right? Because he's, he's taken initiative. He's taken responsibility. He's invested time and energy to make sure that you have the best experience that he could possibly provide for you. I believe that that's the type of leadership we think about and we're concerned with when we think about what does it look like to submit to one another? It's submitting to someone who's putting your needs before their own needs. And in that context, it's easy to submit. And I want us to keep reading. There's 52 words directed at the ladies. It's almost like God knew that the men didn't like instructions. So he doubled it up. Instead of 52 words, he gives us 152. 
All right, so we've got 152 words for the fellows, and we're gonna take this a little bit slow, so let's jump into verse 25. It says this, husbands, love your wives. This word love means agape love. It's a binding love that has no conditions attached to it. This is a love regardless of expectation, regardless of what is going to happen or what you think may happen or what has happened in the past. It's a love that never changes for your wife. And then it points to Jesus as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now I want us to pause right there because if we miss this, then we've missed everything today. What Paul is saying is he's saying, love your wives as Jesus loves us. But he's pointing to something very specific. When he says gave himself up, he's pointing to a one-time event. Now, Jesus lived a life of service, but it's pointing to the one-time event where Jesus went to the cross. It was the ultimate display of love, unconditional love for you and me. He gave up himself. He gave up his life for you and I. Why did he do that? He did that so that his bride, the church, you and me, male and female, would understand our worth, so that we would understand our value so that we would understand the love of the heavenly father directed towards us. Jesus chose this. And Paul is saying, hey, fellas, listen, you're to love your wife like Jesus loves the church, the way that he gave himself up. And so what he's saying, he's saying, hey, guys, listen, your role is not just submission, but in addition to submitting to one another, I also want you to sacrifice. Sacrifice, what does that mean? Very simply this, to lay aside yourself while leveraging your strength for your wife's benefit. And I would say even beyond that, as you begin to maybe uh, grow as a family, it's leveraging for the benefit of those in your house, not just your wife, but in this context, it's to lay aside yourself while leveraging your strength for your wife's benefit. Fellas, we're we've been called to give 100% of ourselves. Our desires, our power, our dreams, our time, everything we've been called, we've been tasked with leveraging that for everyone else's benefit. And in this context, specifically the one that we're married to. This is starting to sound a little bit impossible, but it's possible because think about it. Think about, go back to maybe Valentine's Day before you were married. Like you've, you've done this before. You probably did this as you began dating your spouse or dating someone in the past. You were all in. You were listening to music that you would never listen to prior to knowing her and spending time with her. You're eating foods that you never would have eaten before, but because she desires it, because she preferred it, you were all in. I was thinking about for today, going back and pulling out a box that I have at my house that my wife has kept actually, that has a card from every single week that we were in a long distant relationship while she had gone off to grad school and I was still finishing up at A&M. She's smarter than me. I'm not as smart, it took me a little bit longer. Don't judge me. Um, but in all those months, I would write her a card every single week. And I was like, man, I should read some of these. And then I read one of them. I was like, nope, don't need to read that because that's the most ridiculous, most romantic. I can't believe I wrote that and put it in writing. Every guy in the room would lose respect for me for using the loving romantic words that I use. But isn't it interesting what we do as we begin to sacrifice to show and prove our love for someone that we deeply care about? Yet somehow as we begin to find ourselves in the rhythms and the routines and the busyness of marriage, 
that stuff starts to fall off. And instead of our marriage growing and being cultivated for something good and something healthy, something that's growing, it takes more of the picture of our wedding day flowers, beautiful, brilliant, but today withered, dead, falling apart. It's almost this picture of our marriage because we fail to remember that we're supposed to sacrifice. Submission and sacrifice are the two ingredients of a hopeful marriage. You want hope for your marriage, you begin to step into that. You begin to practice that. Listen, ladies, if your husband ever walks up to you and says, hey, um, I think you need to practice a little more of what Wes was saying. He was talking about the submission thing, and I'm just not sure you're submitting the way that you need to. Ladies, just remind him, you need to die. Because that's the call that God has made on our lives. He's saying, die to yourself, to your desires, and elevate their desires above your own. He continues on in this passage. Let's read through this quickly. He says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And then he continues on to kind of draw this parallel, this connection to Jesus and the church, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. This is a beautiful picture, but fellas, listen, what he's saying, he's saying we get to do that with the one that we've chosen to spend the rest of our lives with, nourishing, cherishing, so that she would understand her worth and her value and the love that you have for her that brings security in her life knowing that you are for her. It's interesting that this connection is made to Jesus, and the reason is because Jesus is the example. When we think about submission and sacrifice, Jesus is the ultimate example. In Mark chapter 10, the disciples are arguing. They're basically having an argument over shotgun, okay? This was 2,000 years ago. There weren't vehicles, but they wanted to know, hey, Jesus, when you ultimately take your throne, who's gonna get to sit at your right? Who's gonna get to sit at your left? We wanna know. What they're saying is they're saying to Jesus, hey, listen, we're gonna stick by you. We are with you. We are all in. But when you have the final ultimate power, we wanna know where we're gonna sit. And look at Jesus' response in Mark chapter 10. Maybe. Here it is. It says, but it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Don't miss that word. He says, and whoever would be first among you must be a slave of all, for even the Son of Man, being Jesus, Jesus is speaking these words. He's talking about himself, for even the Son of Man came not to be served. He didn't show up and demand that we do everything for him, but to serve. Jesus, in all of his power, and all of his authority, and all of his honor, all of his splendor, and everything that he was, fully God and fully man, he didn't show up to be recognized and served. He showed up to serve. Remember, Jesus is the example, and to give his life, there that is again, to give his life as a ransom for many. This is such a revolutionary idea of power. Jesus having all the power available to him, being fully God and fully human, he has the opportunity to use that power for his own gain, but instead of using it for his own gain, he takes it, he leverages it for the benefit of those around him. It's the same that he's calling us to do in marriage between submission and sacrifice. You see this happen. Mark this week was talking to some of us, to to our staff this week, about this particular story in John chapter 13, the night before Jesus goes to the cross. He begins to wash the disciples' feet. 
And it's such a bizarre scene because we don't do that in our culture today. But look what it says in John chapter 13. It says, Jesus laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. This is a bizarre scene because they walked around in sandals on dusty streets with lots of animals and a lot of different people. And so they're stepping in things that nobody wants to be stepping in. The feet were filthy. This is nasty. And for a man in this context to take this posture, to take the posture of a servant, serving his disciples and begins to wash their feet, it's this incredible picture of the way that we're to interact with one another in marriage, in submission, and sacrifice to one another. I mean, consider this. Jesus is literally washing the nasty, disgusting feet of those who are about to abandon him in his most difficult time on this earth. This is the night before his arrest. It's such a crazy scene, yet Jesus chooses it anyways. It's that unconditional love. There's no expectation attached to it. It continues on in verse 12, and it says this. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? This is the question he's asking us today. He's saying, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord. Those are, those are significant titles. Those are titles that bring some authority and some power. And he's saying, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so am I. And it continues on. It says this, if I then, your Lord and teacher, this is a place of authority, This is a place of power that he's making sure they see. If I, in a place of power and authority, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. In other words, serve one another. For I've given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Jesus is the example So in whatever setting you find yourself in, as boss, as husband, as wife, as teacher, as employee, the charge is the same. Serve one another as Jesus has served us. We're not here to serve. We're not here to be served. We're here to serve. Husbands, serve your wife. Wives, serve your husband. And when these two things work together, At the same time, something begins to transform in our lives. We got a ping pong table at our house a couple weeks ago. You know what I've learned? Ping pong's really boring by yourself. Sometimes I'm like, hey, boys, anybody want to play? And they're like, no, we don't want to play. You hit the ball too hard. I'm like, my bad. It takes two. But when two commit to this together, transformation begins to take place place. You know, some of us have bought into the lie that marriage ultimately was about your fulfillment, your happiness. But when we read this passage, we don't see that. That's not what marriage was for. Look how this passage lands in verse 31. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery What Paul is pointing us to, he said, hey, listen, marriage isn't just about your happiness. Marriage is not the end. He's saying the mystery of this is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ being Jesus and the church, the relationship between Jesus, our Savior, our Rescuer, and his church, you and me. 
who choose to trust and do as he says, not because we have to earn it, not because we have to serve him, because we see that he served us and did everything in our place, and it leads us to a response. He says, however, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. When we land here, we recognize that the reason for marriage is not just simply happiness with one another. The reason for marriage is that we would know Jesus better, that we would understand more of who he is, understand more of the relationship that he is calling and inviting us into. You know, some of you are sitting here today and you've had this thought or you're watching online and you have this thought, man, I married the wrong person. And it's getting a little awkward right now because you've had that thought. And can I just tell you something, maybe just to kind of relax you a little bit? Did you know you're right? You did. You married the wrong person because that person is flawed. That person is a sinner just like the rest of us. But it's exactly who God wanted you to marry. It might feel like the wrong person, but it's the right person for you because it's in that context of two broken individuals that God wants to show up and do the miraculous as you begin to trust him. As you begin to submit to one another, as you begin to sacrifice for one another, as you begin to serve one another. Listen, marriage is a blessing and marriage brings happiness. But don't forget, when you get past that honeymoon phase, the person that you are married to had something so wrong with them that Jesus had to give his life for that person. And so don't elevate that person to a place they were never intended to be. They are not supposed to be the God in our lives. They're supposed to be used to point us to the God in our lives. And there's power here. And so what I wanna do in just kind of landing this today is I wanna give you a really practical step to take, something you can put into practice. Every single one of us online in the room, married, not married, it's to simply ask one simple question. Every day this week, one simple question, you begin to ask those around you. It's simple, it's tangible, it's transforming. It's this, this is the question for this week. It's simply this, what can I do to serve you? With your spouse, with your husband, with your wife, maybe with your kids, your friends, what can you do to serve them? What would it look like for you to begin to walk into a room or you to arrive home at the end of a busy day at work and you have the mindset as you walk into the room, not how can I be served, how can I be recognized, but instead, what can I do to serve those who I'm beginning to find myself in the same presence with? I don't know if this is true in your house. I know it's been true in my house over the years. There are times where I have a crazy day at work, lots of meetings, lots of conversations, just a busy, hectic schedule, schedule a routine, and sometimes it's day after day after day, and then I go home, and I'm stressed out, I'm overwhelmed, and I want everybody to serve me, and sometimes that means in order to serve me is just to leave me alone. You know, what's interesting is that my wife will do the same thing. She will have day after day after day where her routine is crazy. She's got responsibilities at work. She takes care of responsibilities at home. We've got things going on in our lives. We both show up day after day, not there to serve one another, but instead there to protect our own turf. Instead of submission and sacrifice towards one another, we find ourselves in a place of defense and protection for ourselves. And what Paul is pointing us to, what Jesus modeled for us is exactly the opposite of that. It's not protecting our own own turf. It's leveraging everything that we have 
our exhaustion, and our power for the benefit of those around us. And I can just tell you today on this Valentine's Day, and this isn't me trying to dig myself out of a Valentine's Day hole, but my wife is so much better at this than I am. It's amazing how she cultivates this in our house. So men, would you be willing to actually ask your wife this question this week? To say to your spouse, and some of you right now are like, Wes, you are totally breaking bro code right now. You are putting me on the spot and I am not comfortable with this. But would you really really be willing to ask her this? Ask her, what can I do to serve you today? And I know it's scary because you begin to think about what is she gonna actually say? And if she says something, then now I have a responsibility to follow through on the question that I just asked her. And that's a place that we get a little bit uncomfortable with. But can I just push you a little bit today, guys? What would it look like for you and I this week to lead out in this? You know, it's interesting. As I was preparing for today, I I started to practice this early in the week. And um, I started by just sending my wife a text message on Monday. And I think she was like totally thrown off. She's like, okay, what did he do? What has he messed up? What is he ask, about to ask me for? And she didn't respond with anything right there in that moment. But did you know that every single day this week, that question has come back up? And she goes, you know what you can do? You can do this. You can do this. And it's shaped some things in a unique way in our house. So what if you began to do this, guys? You began to do this when you think about your time off. Instead of thinking about your hobbies and all the things that you want to do in your time that's devoted for yourself, you said first, what can I do to serve you? When it comes to choosing vacation destinations, what can I do to serve you? When it comes to romance, what can I do to serve you? Where is she looking for affection and affirmation? What would it look like to begin to serve her? You know what's interesting is I was thinking about this. Our natural tendency as guys is to actually do the opposite of what Paul is calling us to do. Oftentimes, we begin to abdicate our responsibility in the home. We begin to think, you know what, I'm home, um, I'm zealous about my job, I'm passionate about advancing in my career track, I'm passionate about my hobbies and my friendships, and then we get home and we just kind of disconnect and we put the family on autopilot. And what we're being called to do today is something radically different, the opposite, in fact, to leverage our time and our energy, our power and our strength to serve our wife, to serve our family. What would this look like? You know, it's what Paul is talking about as you hear him talking about loving her like you love your own body, as you nourish and cherish your own body. This is what he's calling us to do for our wife. You know, what's gonna happen is you begin to practice this question every single day. You're gonna get to a place, if you're not there yet, where you're not gonna have to ask the question anymore because you're gonna know, because you've studied, you've watched, you've listened, you've been intentional to sacrifice some of what you want for yourself to know her better. And you begin to serve her better. This is powerful. Ladies, what would this look like for you to say to your husband, what can I do to serve you? In most cases, most men in that moment are gonna say, nothing, I'm good, because that's just how we think. We're simple, and we're probably not thinking about it, but it's going to make him aware that you care about some of the things that he is carrying in his life. 
It begins to build him up. It begins to affirm who he is. It begins to show him that you care about him and the things going on in his life. My wife gets this right so often and it blows my mind. The way that she will speak respect towards me, the way that she will affirm who I am, the way that she will encourage me, the way that she will give me room sometimes to pursue some of my own hobbies, to spend time in friendships that she may be left out of. She does this so well, and honestly, sometimes I find myself thinking, she really does believe that I'm pretty awesome. And it blows my mind, because here's the reality, I don't deserve that. I haven't done anything to earn that in my life, yet she does it anyways. It's her way of serving me. And my wife's not perfect, and she wouldn't tell you that she was perfect, but she does a pretty good job at this. And the reason I'm thankful for it is because it begins to shape something in me, and I think that's what Paul wants us to see. It begins to shape something powerful in us. I didn't earn it. I don't deserve it. And I don't think that that's why Brandy does that. Clearly, she watched me go off the bike ramp one time. She doesn't do that because... She thinks I need it from her. She does it because I think she understands what Paul was talking about in the very first verse we read today. In reverence for Jesus Christ, she serves me because she wants to live for Jesus. And she sees that as she does this, it begins to transform things in our lives. Sanctification begins to happen for both of us. What that means is, is we begin to look more and more like Jesus. So what would this look like for us this week? To ask the question, what can I do to serve you? Teenagers, what would this look like for you this week? To say to your mom or your dad to walk to the dinner table, walk into the living room and just say, hey mom, dad, uh, what can I do today to serve you? After they pass out and you pick them up off the floor, they're probably gonna look at you and say, hey, you can have whatever you want right now. I mean, hey, here's a bonus. Some teenagers aren't watching this, and parents, you need to make them go back and watch this portion. A bonus for teenagers, if your parents have some friends over one night, walk in while they're hanging out with their friends and say, hey, mom, dad, I just wanted to check and see if there's anything I can do to serve you today, and watch their jaws drop. And then when you walk out, you know what's gonna happen? Their friends are gonna look at them and say, how in the world did you get them to do that? And then your parents are gonna come to you and they're not just gonna get you anything you want, they're gonna get you the nicest card that you want. And then we've kind of flawed the whole system because it's not supposed to be what's in it for us. But what would this look like for us in our relationships with family? What would it look like for us in the relationships with those we work with? Maybe you're a boss or an employee. What would it look like for you to have this mindset that you are going to be intentional in serving those around you? You realize this begins to shape and completely transform an entire organizational culture as we begin to practice this. So you see that you can practice this in any context. I'll wrap up with this. I was reading a couple of weeks ago about the Roman Empire. You know, right after the days of Jesus, the Roman Empire was in control and the Roman Empire did not want to have anything to do with the gospel message of Jesus. It was something they weren't interested in. And this particular author was writing about the impact that the Christian faith began to have on the Roman Empire. An empire where men were powerful and women were second place. It was a place of abuse and subjugation. 
It was a place where children were abandoned. The, the, the marriage family dynamic was all kinds of messed up. A man would have um, the woman who was there for him to continue to reproduce and grow his family. There was the intellectual uh, sidekick. There was the, the playmates on the side. And so it was just pretty much all about the man and his needs. So, so, so how did this happen? And this particular author made the point that he believes that what began to happen is people began to look and see what a Christ-like marriage looked like. Submission and sacrifice being practiced. Where women were elevated, where men were elevated, where women were celebrated while men were celebrated. Men were living on purpose. They were serving one another and began to change an entire culture because men and women began to understand who Jesus was. As they understand who Jesus was, they began to live differently for one another, and they found hope in the marriage that they found themselves in. The same thing is true and available to us. By simply asking the question, what can I do for you today? I know that creates some tension, creates some fear, fear of what she's going to say, fear of maybe not having the ability to come through on what she's asking you to do, fear on them not doing anything in return. But I think that when we feel that fear, it's the perfect place for our faith to begin to expand as we begin to trust Jesus. And when we begin to trust Jesus, we say, Jesus, whatever you say, I will do. And you served and you said that we are to serve. So today I serve. And so maybe for some today, it's not the marriage relationship you need to focus on first. It's that relationship with Jesus. Because until that relationship is right, the rest of the relationships are always going to find themselves in a place of brokenness. And so today, wherever you are, maybe you just need to make that observation and just sit with that for a minute and decide, Jesus, I trust you. I give you my life. And then begin to follow and trust him every single day and ask this question to those closest to you, what can I do to serve you? We pray, Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for the opportunity to be in this place, to wrap our minds around your word and what it says and what it means for us. God, I pray right now for those who maybe are wrestling and on the fence when it comes to a relationship with you. Right now, I pray that you would just continue to open eyes and understanding to the hope, to the freedom, to the life that is found as we lay our lives down and trust you. Give anyone here that's listening the opportunity to just kind of put away any fear and just step into that. And God, I pray specifically for the marriages represented, the families represented. Would you give us courage to step into these things today? That we would become servants of one another in submission and sacrifice to one another. Jesus, we love you. We trust you. Thank, thank you for our time together in this place. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen, as you leave today in just a moment, I just want to make you aware. I know that there's no way for me to speak into every single marriage situation that might be represented in this room. And maybe some things I said today maybe triggered some, some thoughts or some pain or some frustration. And maybe today was just listening was just a first step. But we have an incredible counseling team that is here for you. And so I'm just going to leave this up on the screen um, as you leave. Maybe you need to take a picture of that or write that down and reach out this week for additional help because there's some significant things that you need to walk through and maybe that's the step you need to take in order to serve the one closest to you. We have people available to pray. You can do that by 
texting or calling 855-COFFMLY. Those are there 24-7. Our worship hosts are gonna dismiss the room by section, which might take a little less time than normal, Uh, but we are thankful that you joined us today. We're thankful that you jumped online today. Have a very, very safe, warm week. Be careful driving home today. We'll see you next weekend.